making changes in our lives. And I was thinking about making changes on our computers. You know, sometimes you need to change something. And uh, I've noticed that there are certain things that I can change. And I can change the margins or the tabs of a word processing document or something I'm working on. But there are some times when I'm trying to make a change and it says, you know, the, only the administrator can make this change. And I, I, since I don't speak computer, I don't really even know what that means. I, I assume that because I own the computer, I must be the administrator. Um, it asks for a password that I have no recollection of ever making. And I get to a place and trying to make changes in my computer where it just says, I'm sorry, you're not qualified to do that. And I'm thinking how our lives are kind of like that, that we can make certain improvements in our lives, right? We can look at the stuff that we don't want to be there anymore or that we want to be different, and we can make certain improvements in our lives, but when it gets to the core changes, when it gets to the fundamental changes, it's like, don't you sometimes just feel powerless to really make those changes? Talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like this sign comes up that goes, you are not qualified or capable of making those changes. Well, that's the good news, because the good news is that God changes people, and God's the administrator of our lives, and he has the passwords, and he can get to the core. And when we do this right and we walk with God, he can make the core changes in our lives that are so much more than superficial, but will change the very character structure of who we are, the values by which we live, and then the behavior follows that. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being disappointed in my own efforts to change my behavior. Anybody? What I want is I want God to come in and change the core so that my behavior lives from an authentic core of character that's been touched by God. Do I have anybody in here that's on that page? Okay, good. So I started this series about six weeks ago. No, a six-week series started a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just calling it Changed. And what I want to do, as I said, is look at six biblical personalities who represent the kind of change that God promises to make and shows that he can make in individuals. And in each case, I want to remind you that it was God who made the changes in these lives. It wasn't the individual. It was God who made the changes. He has a password. And the other thing is that God used something that was already present in their lives to bring that change about. And so that's just such incredibly good news, is it not? Because you've got God and you've got yourself, so you have everything that you need in order for these changes to occur. But what we're endeavoring to embrace from the scriptures is that what is this process? What are the things that God uses and is that in me? And so the first week we looked quickly at Abraham and we noticed that Abraham experienced profound change from an idol worshiper to the one through whom Jesus would come and bless all the world. And uh, in that kind of a core change, God used his, un- uh, his willing and, uh, a willing and unquestioning obedience to the leading of God, that God said this to Abraham and he did it. And it was that sort of blind obedience that God repeatedly used in the life of Abraham to make these incremental changes in his life which turned out to be such a big thing in the end. And so the call on us is to follow the stirring of God. No matter where you are, no matter how you would characterize yourself in your relationship with God, you're getting a stirring or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here if there wasn't some sort of compelling motivation And some of that is the stirring of God and for us to listen to it and obey it and just in blind obedience, just do it, just do it. 
And as we, as we develop this character of uh, obeying and instant obedience, we see that God makes these changes. And last week we looked at Joseph from the Old Testament, Joseph, the old Joseph. And we saw that he experienced deep character changes from pride and arrogance to kind of a profound humility as God changed him and elevated his position. And in the process of this, we saw that it was his deep embra- a consistent and deep embrace of the goodness of God that God used to make those changes. That no matter what circumstance he was in, he was like, yeah, but God's good. You know, but God's good. God's going to come through because God's good. And he had this attitude that whatever somebody means for harm in my life, God is in there somewhere and God can use it for good. And this is a, a deep embrace of this is a very fertile seedbed for change, for that core change. If we can embrace that. It's a living example of it sitting right there in that wheelchair. Alila, you always bless me that way. Through everything you've been through. I always come away from a moment with you knowing this, that God is good. If you know her, am I right? God's good. And it's that kind of deep embrace of the goodness of God that in any and every circumstance, God's good in here somewhere that sets you up for profound and positive change and to develop the kind of character you can't develop on your own. Today we're going to talk about Esther uh, as our last figure from the Old Testament. Next week we'll flip over to the New. But Esther is a prominent figure in the Old Testament who was used by God to become the Jewish queen of Babylon of the Babylonian Empire, and she was used in such a way to spoil an evil plot. And the plot was to annihilate the people of Israel. And Esther was used by God to spoil that plot and to be used to save countless thousands of lives. And in the process, Esther was changed. Esther was changed. She started as an orphan, as a destitute orphan, living with, I guess you would call him her stepfather. Mordecai was his name. But she's living a subsistence life as a destitute Jew in Babylon, in slavery. And she ends as the queen who is used by God to save thousands and thousands of lives. Would you call that a change? (laughs) And that's what we want to get our minds around. You know Every time I read Esther, and it's not that often, I have to confess, but it's like I've never read it before. You know what I'm talking about? One of the things Karen will tell you is I'm blessed with a really short memory. I don't even remember what movies we've seen. Hey, let's watch this. It looks really good. And she's like, yeah, we've seen it four times. I never know how things come out. It's, it's, it's just a wonderful flaw of mine. And so I was reading Esther again, and it's like, and then, oh, and then, and then? There's so much amazing drama in the book of Esther. So we want to see what's, what's going on here. I'd like to read you the whole book, but I think I just have to tell you the story in the interest of time, okay? May I? All right. So the setting is Babylon, like 2,500 years ago. The setting is Babylon during a time that the people of Israel were in captivity again. And this was not, remember how they were slaves in Egypt with Pharaoh? Okay, this is many years later. So the whole Moses thing has happened. They've wandered in the wilderness. They went into the promised land. They lived in the promised land. And then because they turned their backs on God, 
God allowed the Babylonians to come and besiege Israel, or, or yeah, besiege Jerusalem, and carry everybody off into captivity. And so they were slaves again in Babylon. That's what's happening. There was a guy in power in Babylon called Xerxes, King Xerxes, and he had a, a wife, a queen, Vashti. And um, Vashti fell into disfavor with the king by, by refusing to come to the party when he summoned her. I'm kind of thinking there had to be a lot more going on than that, right? I mean, this was probably just the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, because he deposes her as king or queen. He takes away her crown. So I'm thinking this was probably just the straw that broke the camel's back. You don't do that to a woman for having a headache, right? So she doesn't come to the party. And uh, so then we find Xerxes, King Xerxes, and he's queenless. And so he says, I want all the beautiful women of Babylon to be brought in front of me. All of them. (sighs) What a position to be in, huh? (laughs) I mean, just think about this guy. All the beautiful women of Babylon. And if you read the Bible, they they actually worked for a year at being beautiful. One year, 12 months. They worked on themselves. Hot diggity, right? (laughs) And so here's King Xerxes. And all these beautiful women who have been working on themselves, hoping to catch his eye for a year, paraded in front of him. And who catches his eye but a beautiful woman named Esther, one of Jewish background. Um, Again, she had been orphaned as a child, raised by Mordecai. And her very wise stepfather, Mordecai, said, you know, if it doesn't come up, don't mention anything about being Jewish. Just Let's just keep that under. We'll save that for later, okay? And so that's what happened. And Esther's beauty and grace captured the attention of King Xerxes, and, and he crowned her as the new queen. Well, just shortly after Esther became queen then, Mordecai learned of an assassination plot that Xerxes' own palace guards were plotting to assassinate him, and Mordecai learned of this before it happened, of course, and then said to Esther, hey, guess what? Tell the king. So she goes and tells the king. He's very grateful, has these guys executed. And she tells him, by the way, it was Mordecai who told, who told me about this. Yeah. King says, very good. Very good. The plot was thwarted. Now, not long after this, the villain appears. And you may get ready to say, dun-dun-dun, when I say the name Haman. Good. <laughs> and Haman was this kind of uh, manipulative guy who had worked his way up into the upper echelon of the king's courts. And to the point that King Xerxes actually gave him favor and honor and gave him a position that caused everybody in Babylon to bow down to Haman. <laughs> To bow down to Haman. You know, if you're going to do it, do it together, all right? Let's just, okay, we're done with the dun dun dun. Okay. And everybody in the land bowed down to Haman except Mordecai. Mordecai goes, I ain't doing it. I know what this guy's up to, I know what he's about. Well, this put him in disfavor with Haman, and, Mor- and, and so Haman hatched this plot. He goes, How can I punish? How can I actually get rid of Mordecai? And he says, well, he's Jewish, I know. I will pose to the king that the Jews are an unsurrendered threat and that they should be annihilated. 
And so he was successful in persuading King Xerxes that this was true. And so an edict went out that on such and such a date, all the Jews in all the land. And it says that, Babylon, that Xerxes was king from Cush, which is Egypt, to India. That's a stretch of land. And he said all the Jews all throughout there were going to be annihilated. Because this was his way of not only getting back at Mordecai, but anybody who would ever be connected with Mordecai. And so, uh, you know, this became known. This was actually a published fact. And so Mordecai then sent word to Esther saying, you need to talk to the king about this. You need to talk to the king about this and you need to persuade him to reverse this order. Well, initially then, Esther is very resistant because in the day, she said, you know, unless you're invited into the inner court, even when you're the queen, unless you're invited into the inner court, if the king's not in a good mood, could have you executed just for coming in. The only exception is if you come in uninvited and he looks at you and for whatever reason extends his scepter to you. And she says, I I don't know if I want to do that. Mordecai says, no, you, you have to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. You have to do that. And then Mordecai says these words to her. Who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that this is what God had in mind all along? I mean, why out of all these thousands of women were you picked? And you say, who knows that God has been working on this all along and has you right where he wants you? Who knows? And that's the question of your life, isn't it? The circumstances in which you live. Who knows but that maybe you're right where you are Because of God's plan. Who knows that you are who you are, where you are, for such a time as this. And so she says, all right, I'll risk it. And she goes in uninvited, and the king extends his scepter to her. What do you want, my beloved queen? And she says, you know, I just want to have dinner with you and Haman. I just want to have a little dinner for three. And tomorrow I want to have a banquet. So they have this dinner for three. And the queen talks about, I'd love to have this big banquet so that we can honor someone. Oh, Haman goes, she must be thinking of me. She wants to honor me. After all, in my arrogance and narcissism, who else would it be? And so he's all excited. And the king says, okay, tomorrow we'll have a big banquet and we'll honor whomever you choose. Okay, so off everybody goes. Haman says, oh my gosh, this is my chance to get Mordecai. I have favor with everybody. And so he says, what I'm going to do, he has a gallows, you know, something to hang someone on, built 75 feet tall next to Haman's house. And he says, tomorrow, when I'm in this place of honor, I will say, and hang Mordecai. He's us. That's all set up perfectly. So that night, in between the dinner and the banquet, the king can't sleep. King Xerxes is tossing and turning reasons not known to us. So his remedy is, this is preambient, and so his remedy is to, to ask, one of, ask his servants to come in and read the chronicles of his reign. Now, how, how boring must a person's life be 
that when you can't read, or you can't sleep, you have someone come and read your life story, and surely that'll put you to sleep. But he's listening to this, and he gets to the part of Mordecai averting the plot to assassinate him. And King Xerxes goes, hey, whoa, 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 stop. This Mordecai fellow, what was ever done for him to honor him for that? And they're like, mm, nothing was done, O king. And he goes, well, what should we do to honor someone who saves the king's life? I need to think about this. And then he asks his servants, he says, hey, is there anybody outside who can help me think about this? They look out there and they go, Haman's out there. Don't you, this is Bible. Is this cool or what? Huh? Hello? And so he says, oh, bring him in. Haman comes in, oh boy, this just gets better, you know? Haman thinks, I'm getting taller by the minute. And he comes in, and the king says, Haman, if the king wanted to honor somebody, I mean really honor them, what, what would the king do? Haman goes, oh my gosh, this is a blank check. He thinks for himself, right? And he says, here's what the king should do. The king should make him royalty should give him a royal robe and should lead him, should have him led on one of the royal horses, thinking he's writing his own ticket. King says, that's a brilliant idea, Haman. Go and fetch Mordecai and do that. (laughs) And so off Haman goes. (laughs) And he goes to Mordecai, can you imagine what that guy must have been going through to give Mordecai this robe, help him up on the royal horse, <laughs> lead him through town <laughs> to the banquet. It's exactly what the Bible says happened. So they get there. And then it's banquet time. At the banquet the next day, King Xerxes was so pleased with Esther that he said, I'll give you whatever you wish up to half my kingdom. And she goes, oh, no, I don't want anything except, king, that you would spare the life of your queen and her people. He goes, what? And then she reveals her heritage and says, I'm of the people of Israel. And there is an edict out that all of us should be killed. Wow, Xerxes flies into a rage. Who, Who authored such a plan? If you must know, now get ready. It was Haman. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was Haman. Haman! Oh, he does, he's torn. And so he flies, he goes off into the palace porch. He leaves the room. He goes out. What am I going to do with Haman? What am I, how am I going to punish him for such a thing? Well, meanwhile, Haman's back here begging Esther, Queen Esther, for his life. Oh, please change his mind. Please change his mind doesn't really say how she's responding to that but at one point she's on the couch and he falls on her to beg her so the script yeah exactly right i love it some of you are hearing this for the first time and you're like then uh, uh. and and then what happens is xerxes king xerxes comes back in at exactly that moment well my mind is made up what should i do to the man who is molesting my queen but that he should be hung immediately. By the way, is there a gallows available? (laughs) Honest to goodness, that's how this goes. Is there a gallows available? And his advisors, the king's advisors, well, you know, there does. There was just one built just yesterday. And it's very near Haman's home. 
right next door. And so Haman was, was executed on his own gallows. The edict was reversed. Mordecai was raised to a position of, of royalty as a palace official. And Esther, this little orphan, poor orphan Jewish girl, was used, changed, 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 and used by God to bring the whole thing in because she was created for such a time as that. That's her story. It's a good one, isn't it? And the lessons, the lessons from Esther's life, I think, can be summarized in two words, risk and trust. That the change that God brought about in her life was because she was willing to risk everything. She was willing to risk everything to be caught up in the plans of God. This was, a, this was an idea that had great risk. Normally would have cost her her life had God not been a part of it. But there was great, great risk involved in the plan of God for her. And the change only came as she responded to that. And I want to tell you something. People, listen now. Some of you want change in your life. You want core change, Right? You want to get free from addictions. You want to get free from stuff, repetitive behaviors. I mean, it's up to you to determine what those things. Nobody's laying that on you. I'm just saying some of you on the inside are going, man, this has got to change. I can't change this myself. I keep returning to it. I've got to be a different person. The, the more substantial that change is, the more substantial that change needs to be, the riskier the call is going to be. And the shakier the bridge in between. God uses our response to the risk of what he proposes to us to make those core changes. And so when God's calling and saying, this is the next step, and you're not going to see the Golden Gate Bridge from here to there. You're going to see one of those Indiana Jones rope bridges with a bunch of the stuff missing across the big chasm. And that's what you want. Because the greater the risk, the greater the reward, the greater the change. And the other thing about Esther is that she just displayed this deep and consistent trust or faith in the plan of God. She said, okay, here we go. I trust you, God. You can imagine, before she walked into the king's room, she, she could have well been executed just for going in. That's a high risk. And yet she said, God, I trust you. Like Job said in the midst of all of his infirmity, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's where change comes from, is that kind of faith, that kind of incredible, unrelenting, trusting faith, because risk and trust are two core qualities to offer to God in order to be in that place where these deep changes can occur. So you get to decide, you know, what kind of change you really feel is needed in your life. And then you just pray. You say, God, okay, well, show me the, 
Show me what's across the rope bridge then. Call me to something. Call me to something so that I can trust you and go to it. It's very likely that in a group of this size that there are a number of you in this room who need healing so that you can trust God. If you think about Esther, why should she have trusted God at all? Her parents died. She was betrayed by Haman. If not for the love of a father, if not for the love of Mordecai, she should have no reason to trust anybody. And what a lesson that is, you know. The huge development between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that God is not far off and distant as he is in the Old Testament, but he says, I'm your father. I want to love you. I want to be your loving father and bring healing into your life so that you can, your trust, your capacity to trust can be restored. And some of you men and women alike have been abused. You've been betrayed to the point. You've been so disappointed in some ways that you're not sure you can trust So what do you do? You say, God, unless you heal me, unless you start there by healing me so I can trust you, I can't start that walk to that scary, risky place you're calling me to. So for some of you in the room today, it's just a day of healing and say, God, I'm dialing into what he's saying, but (laughs) can't even take the first step. Can Can you come? And can you visit those places in me that are so full of suspicion and disappointment that I can't trust you. I can't trust anybody. And just ask him for healing. Others of you are ready. You're ready to take the step, and maybe you don't know where the bridge goes. And here's the prayer I want to encourage you to pray. You know, Lord, Mordecai said to Esther, maybe you were created for such a time as this, and it was so clear to them. Maybe you just need to say, God, would you make it clear to me what I was created for? Would you make it clear to me? Would you reveal to me what it is that I'm being called to? What it is that you're calling me to, to glorify you. Why I'm on the planet. Why I'm in your kingdom. Why I'm part of your plan. Those are a couple of great prayers to pray today, guys. And there are others that come. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray for blessing. We want to pray for the power of God, the kingdom of God to be released in every part of your life. Let's pray. Lord, uh, what an incredible privilege it is to be at a place in an authentic moment like this when if you came, it would make all the difference in our lives. You could come and, and you could come and you could reveal yourself to us in these deep, recesses of our hearts, maybe in some places that are really hurting, that are bleeding, that we don't know if we'll ever get over. Would you come, Lord? I just want to pray for people who have been abused in this room. I want to pray for women and men who have been sexually abused in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will come and that you will minister to those understandably hurt areas of their hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and break out in kingdom power in their hearts. I pray, Father, for people who live in uh, just the shadows of enormous disappointment in themselves. I just sense your Holy Spirit saying that there are people here who live in the shadow of their own self-disappointment. And I pray that you would bring a light on and, and just tell them that you approve of them. 
that you love them. So would you come and bring healing in their lives? I pray for people, Lord, who are ready to make that crossing from death to life. For those who are ready to ask Jesus into their lives as Savior and begin walking with you as an experiential reality, not a religious concept. I just pray, God, that you'll come and save those who are ready to be saved. I pray, God, that you'll come in power and heal our sick, those who are physically sick. I pray that as someone touches them, that the power of God will come and reverse their condition and restore their bodies to health, Lord God. I pray for people, Lord, who are living in seasons of uncertainty, not knowing what's next, anxiety over it. May the Spirit of the Lord come and meet them in those places of uncertainty and questioning and and just be that source of revelation to them, Lord God. I pray for every person in here, whatever's going on, I pray the Spirit of the Lord will connect strongly to them. Bless them, Lord. In the name of Jesus.